This is The Widow Podcast and I am Karen Sutton, The Widow Coach. I'll be supporting you through the loss of your life partner so you can find a more positive way through your grief. I want to give you hope after loss and to know that when you are ready, you can create a meaningful life for yourself with the help of me, Karen Sutton and The Widow Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of The Widow Podcast. This week, we are having a very important conversation and I have got a very lovely guest joining me. I've got Victoria Tolshard. Have I said that right, Victoria? Tolshard? Yes, good. Um, (laughs) To make sure you get these things right. Um, Who is a qualified art therapist? Victoria will, will tell us a little bit more about what she does in a moment. Today we wanted to open up the conversation about death and dying because it is so important and it's something that is incredibly difficult and scary for us to face and think about in terms of our loved ones and ourselves. And it's giving you the the opening, I suppose, to think about maybe these conversations. I get approached by people who are nursing, caring for spouses, life partners, even parents sometimes, and wanting to understand more about their choices, what's available to them, what to expect when their person dies, before their person dies, and after their person dies, because you can feel very alone in that world. And and I think there's a lot of guilt as well around looking for the support that you could maybe get after your person has gone, because they haven't gone yet. And there's definitely a gap. And, and I'm hoping that this conversation helps in some small way to bridge that gap. I, I know there's a lot more needed and I know this is a, a huge passion of, of Victoria's. I'm hoping that actually this will, will help you with whatever you're going through right now and, and allow you to have those very difficult, scary conversations with you know whoever you need to be having them with. So, Victoria, hello. Thank you so much for for coming and joining us today. It's lovely to have you here. Oh, it's really nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. So, do you want to start just by telling us a little bit about you, um, what you do? Uh, yeah. So, I am a qualified um, art therapist, um, but I have happened to end up working um, for quite some time in um, children's hospice. Um, and then more recently, in the last five years, I worked for a cancer support charity. And that's taken me to supporting people throughout the whole of this journey from a kind of diagnosis. Um, yes, it is cancer, but we could think about um, in this conversation about any um, kind of incurable disease, if you like. Obviously, some people go on to be cured and that's great. But there are obviously a number of um, families that don't have that. Um, diagnosis Mm. so I kind of um, support them throughout that whole journey and it's a real privilege to do that through end of life and into bereavement and my experience is that there is a big gap in the conversations in that period of time between the terminal or incurable diagnosis and into dying and there's a huge amount of support for bereavement but not maybe particularly in this like kind of little section and 
it's not that there's right or wrongs, but I think it's um, just this huge fear of o even opening up those conversations. So, yeah, I hope today that we can kind of start to do that. Absolutely. It's it's difficult, isn't it? You, you know, in, in those situations, facing the reality and then talking about it in, in a very honest way because it's so emotive it's so emotive and it brings so much fear up inside of us doesn't it that you know we're not very good at that are we we want to avoid it we want to push it away you know anything to to avoid going to a very uncomfortable place but actually that fear i believe and and by talking to people that have lived with that fear and allowed it to to keep them prisoner in in this place almost have a lot of regrets about that and really start to see after their person has died how it would have benefited everyone if that fear hadn't have held them in that place so why do we have these conversations, Victoria? Why is it so important? You, you're absolutely right. It's it's huge. And we do fear that. And um, I just want to touch on something. We do hold that in our body. So it's not just kind of a thought process either. It's very mm. physical, the fear. So it's about how to kind of get get beyond that and start those conversations. But it's really, really important for the person that's dying to have those conversations. Because sometimes if we, um, you know, allow the unspoken just to kind of sit around. It might be uncomfortable um, for them. But I think if we can start to listen to what the person that is dying actually is really thinking and feeling, we're able to support them. Um, and ultimately, that means that they will um, kind of hopefully people will start to see that as we move through this conversation, that, that they can actually have a really good death. There's obviously caveats to that, and that's really hard when somebody maybe doesn't. But I think if we can start to have those conversations, then better deaths can be had. And it is really scary to think about that. But people might think, oh, that's a little bit unpowerful. But I, I think some deaths can be actually really positive and very amazing experiences. Uh, much like we are born into this world, we prepare for that and we take time and we think about that. We need to start thinking more about how we end our life. As a society, we've started to kind of, it's behind closed doors a little bit too much. Um, and the process is taken away by undertakers. And I know that it's changing slightly, but there still is this huge fear about talking about it. And then I think for the people that will be left to grieve, it, it's huge because they will have been able to have those conversations instead of having to sit with the what ifs. Oh, oh, we don't know what he or she wanted. Oh, they're not, you know, they're not here to ask those questions. They're lot, there's a lot of guesswork. And I think you probably see this like a lot of guilt in um, knowing what the right thing to do is after. If we prepare and we're prepared to have the conversations, then a lot of this stuff can be done quite early on. And then um, another kind of big thing that I'm quite passionate about is actually being able to live in those moments that you have left, which is hugely important for everybody.
I think that's so important, isn't it? Because I remember um, one lady in, in, in my membership was saying that actually they threw a big party. They threw a big, they got all their friends around. Um, I can't remember how long it was before her, her partner died, but the, the palliative care nurses turned up the next day and the house was carnage, you know, there was just like bottles of booze everywhere. Um, but it felt so good to be able to live in the face of dying, you, you know, and to be able to say to everyone, come around, let's have some fun. Let's, let's create, I mean, I'm not suggesting everyone has to throw a party, but to your point, doing what feels right for you and, and understanding that, yes, there is a huge dark cloud weighing over you. That There is, you know, you can't deny that, but being able to create something that can feel good in those moments is just Absolutely. such a wonderful thing to do. Absolutely. And I think um, that a lot of these conversations hinder people from doing that because mm. there's so much unspoken and unknown. Yeah. Um, I think people also fear what they're going to experience and see if you're watching someone die or equally the person's unsure of what it's going to be like to die. But I think that it's really important to remember that until very close to that point of end of life, we're still living and we can actually do some things. Mm. I mean, if, if we look at the Queen, um, she was very capable right up until the end. And mm. I think that some people forget that. Um, they're a little bit too um, focused on the dying and these people that your loved one is going to die. Well, actually, it, up until a point, they're actually still living yeah. and they have choices and um, you can you know, if it's physically possible, do lots of really lovely things um, in and around that time. It's very hard, though, isn't it, to have these conversations when you don't know how to approach them, when you feel like your person maybe doesn't want to accept the fact that they've died. You're maybe living in a, a place of denial. You know, you're both wanting to kind of pretend it's okay and we're going to find a way through this and maybe we can solve it with, with you know, like homeopathic medicines or or changing our diets. And, and, and there's almost that element of let's not face the unthinkable because it's too much. So that's, let's, and, and it, and that does, you do hear stories where that works, don't you? Where people have said, we didn't ever think of it. And we, we just went out and we discovered everything we could to help us. And, and my person survived. It was a miracle. <laughs> but for the most part, these things don't happen. So how do we, how do we go about approaching these conversations when they feel like every part of our body is going, don't do it, don't do it. I don't know if it's the right thing to do. Yeah, I think it's just important just to go back on what you said. Um, hope is really um, amazing. It, it drives us to do lots of wonderful things and it really does help in mm. situations like this. But um, I also think that it is really important um, to be realistic in the moment but how do you have those conversations? Really important. How do you have any conversation? Okay, you surround yourself with your family and your friends and your loved ones and you connect. I think it might be really interesting for people to ask, like, how have we had hard conversations before in the past? What have we done? You know, because that's your strengths and you know that they've worked in the past. So you can kind of try and utilize um, those things. I love this thing that I heard on a course was, what would love do 
in this situation. And love would absolutely have the conversations. Love would surround yourself in a safe, familiar space with the people that you feel comfortable with. Love might seek support, you know, because that's what you do when you love somebody and you want this to be right. So I think those things are really important. I do a lot of work with children. I think it's really important to include children. Um, I kind of want to get that in there because um, they are a huge part of family. And children can teach us lots of things. Mm-hmm. They're very good at the kind of, you know, this is how it is. I, they don't want to know um, the fluffy stuff. They want to know the details in their, obviously, their language. But that helps them. And I think we need to take strength from that because actually if we do have these honest conversations, it's going to help us in the end too. And I think we can learn so much from children because they don't layer stuff up. They're raw, they're real, they're simple in in how they think and how they feel. They want to know the truth. And I think that's the same for us as adults, isn't it really? As scary as it is, we do want to know what's going on. We do want to understand what we're going to be faced with. We are built for survival, aren't we? You know, we are designed to find a way to survive in whatever situation we find ourselves in. So naturally, we we are going to, to do that, whatever that looks like for you. And I think sometimes that can look like, you know, if if you are losing a life partner, you want to know what you've got coming on the other side of that. You want to know that you're going to be okay. But that can feel selfish, because how can you be thinking about, oh, well, am I going to be okay in all this when my person's going to, to be dying? But we are wired for survival. We do want to know the facts of things and, and we do want to un- understand things to the best of our ability. And I think sometimes remembering how we are with children can help us think about how we can be with each other as adults as well, because that that's still in us isn't it and and I think the language is really important as well so um I think a lot of these conversations are not necessarily about giving definite answers or information Mm. it's just creating spaces to have thoughts and ideas and it's a bit like well what about oh I was thinking this, but what were you thinking? And Mm. can our thoughts kind of come out into a space where we can kind of Mm. make some um, decisions? We kind of do that with children, don't we? We don't, Mm. I mean, uh, there are times where we tell children what to do, but but really what we're trying to do is nurture them. And I think that's really the same for adults. Um, And so, yeah, how we need the right spaces, um, but we need the the right language and we need to be open to receiving and kind of giving thoughts and feelings as well so that we can start to think about um, the importance of, mm. the, of the end and what that kind of looks like, what that's going to be like. And I think as well, being open to listening and, and really hearing, because especially when you're so close to the person, you've got your own ideals, haven't you, and and needs, which is absolutely okay. But sometimes they can cloud your judgment and sometimes it it can affect what you're hearing from your person what they're saying for you you know if you're able to have these conversations and it is really opening your heart isn't it and and listening to what they're saying really hearing that and and not 
you're sort of asking the question and not listening and, and you, you know, just wanting to respond and, and say, oh, it's, it's okay, it's okay, we're going to sort it, you, you know, just holding that space for someone in, in that moment, I think is yeah. such a gift to give someone. Absolutely, yeah. Something else that I have been told and I always um, keep it in mind is um, when we're at the end of life through being elderly or an incurable disease, Actually, death doesn't have to be medical. And really, we need to take it back to it being about society and and social. You know, historically, we didn't end up in hospital um, with lots of drugs. We were at home, surrounded by our communities with people visiting, um, people bringing meals, people telling stories and um, being by the bedside. Um, And I think that's been taken away from us slightly. And so now it's a bit scary for people to have those conversations because it's done for them. And actually, we didn't used to allow that to happen. We did it ourselves. And and it's changed so much, hasn't it? I think it has become very medicalised, you know, and and sometimes like, you know, sometimes it has to be because there's a lot of, of support that needs to be put in place. But I think we we have lost the ability to create meaningful deaths. And I, I do feel it's changing. I do feel it's changing. I feel like there's that, that there's, you know, there's a lot of movement out there to help people in this space. It's it's starting to be recognized actually that maybe we have medicalized it, it too much and we've taken away people's choices too much and we've hidden it from from people, you know, and and it's not deemed a natural part of life. Exactly. You, you know, it goes back to me being a midwife. But, you know, when somebody comes in and they find out they're pregnant, the planning that goes into the pregnancy, the changes you make, and then the, the event itself, the giving birth, and then preparing yourself for afterwards for, you know, the changes that are going to come and, and the new life. And, and yeah, I think that's such a wonderful way of thinking about death as well, you, that that planning for the death, that really thinking about how you can make it as meaningful as you can. I always remember David Kessler saying, the more meaningful the death, the more meaningful the grief. And I see it. I see it so much. And it's it's allowing yourself to create that in that space so that you, you can have a more meaningful grief afterwards um yeah. when i say meaningful i don't mean that it's it's not painful or, or awful because grief is um but i think when you've had those conversations when you know you have given your person what they wanted what they needed what felt right for them that's that's just that's a beautiful thing i think and death yes. can be a beautiful thing and it can absolutely be beautiful and amazing and there are amazing professions that are doing this work. And like I say, it is changing, but I do think it is still quite behind closed doors. You know, it's it, it's within the hospices. And why isn't it talked about just in general more um, mm. like we do, but like giving birth? You know, it's yeah. such an amazing thing that it just needs to be a bit more of a easier conversation for people, I think. Um, and the yeah, the outcomes are so much better for everybody involved if you're able to do some of the um, work beforehand and it's funny isn't it because it's the only certainty we have in life we're going to die we're all going to die there's there's no getting away from it and we have been dying forever this isn't this isn't new to us (laughs) and and you know not to make light of it but you'd think wouldn't you with all that history 
and the fact that it's going to happen to all of us why why i why is it so behind closed doors why is it so unimaginable to us and i get it because we don't know what that process looks like feels like we don't know what's on the other side of it we worry about our loved ones don't we when we leave them and and all of that stuff is yeah is but we need to, we need to be more prepared don't we mm. as, as a society yeah. i guess yeah um, in, in terms of that and there's no right or wrong there's not any you know like you can't fix it but actually if we can just start to have the conversations i think that's just like a really great you know point you know um or not for people to not shy away from that to almost be a little bit interested in that um i know it provokes fear immediately of course it of course it does but the reason it does that is i think because we just don't have the conversations um yeah. about it we're not used to it and and actually i think we we live in a world where we find solutions for everything we can fix anything because we we have got everything at our fingertips but when somebody's dying you can't fix that and then that feels out of your control we don't like to feel out of control do we we like to feel that we have an element of control over everything but actually as much as you can't maybe stop your person from dying look at what you can control in that situation and look at what you can do absolutely yeah um instead of thinking about what you can't do because there's a lot isn't there there's we have so many choices and i think from talking to you before about this victoria you know you know i'm i'm aware of some of the choices um but even some of them i i wasn't aware of i was quite surprised actually that you know we don't have to have our person's body collected within an hour of them dying you, you know like we can keep them we can keep them if we want to keep them it's it's really understanding these things but we're not aware of them no absolutely there's so much choice that i think people are really really unaware of mm. um it might be good um just if we touched on there's some kind of practical stuff you know that needs doing yeah. um you know making sure that you have a will um and making sure that that's done right um you can take time to make sure that your passwords and your bank accounts and all of those kind of practical stuff is done and it's in in a safe place and someone knows where to kind of find all of that information um we can have power of attorneys for all our financial stuff um but we can also write out power of attorneys for our well-being Mm-hmm. Um, and we can go into more detail about what that could include um, in, in a bit. But we could also, if we, um, especially I think if we have an incurable disease or end of elderly end of life, we can make an advanced care plan. And you can do that with your um, GP, your palliative care team, the nurses that, that are around you. And I think that's really, really important. That's kind of going back to that medicalization of, um, of, of a death. If you know that you're dying, you don't want to be resuscitated and you have a choice to write that down. You also get a choice in what pain relief you might want. And we did talk about this earlier on when we were chatting. Um, I think especially if you um, have um, dementia or before that, you can have all these choices in place. But when that gets to that point, you don't have, you know, you can't advocate for yourself. So it's really important to have somebody to be advocating for you. And that's written down Mm. and and all the things that you kind of want in terms of um, that. 
And then there's a huge piece of work, I think, in terms of having conversations about the little things. Where do you want to be when you die? You know, you do have choices. And it's important to hear, I think, from the person that's dying, but also the people that are around them as well. Do they want to be at home? Or actually, is it better for them as a family to be in a hospice? And there's choices um, around um, that. And there's choices around what you want that place to look like. Um, and that that goes, you know, all the way down to small details like what candles you want to have in the room. You know, do you have favourite flowers that you'd like to have around? Um, some people might find that they really want to be outside in those last moments. All these things are possible. We just don't talk about them. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's important to say that these things might change. And of course, you know, they they will do over time because you might think about it at some point and you might change your mind as you go along. But that's fine as long as you're having the conversations about it. And also there are things that get in the way, practical things, um, and you might end up with your loved one in hospital and that's not your choice. But you still can create an environment in the room that you happen to be in that still includes all of those small things. It includes the people that that person wants to be there. It could be the bedding that they have on on the bed. And I think that's the bit that people kind of really don't know that there are a lot of choice around. And it's so important, isn't it? Because when I think about myself and and my death, and and, and I do, <laughs> um, you know, I, I I do. These are things you weigh up, aren't they? Because you naturally sometimes you want to die at home in your own bed because it's comfortable. You've got your pillows, the bedding that you like, and you're you're familiar with the smells and the sounds. And those things I think are really important as we die because our senses, you know, especially smell for us. I think that's that that becomes almost quite heightened, doesn't it, in in the days before or, or what have you. Um but then you have that thought of, well, I don't want that to be traumatic for my family. I don't want that to be the overriding memory. Because some people, you know, I've spoken to clients where their person wanted to die at home, but actually they found that really difficult because then they've got that memory in, in their home. And it's very hard to have these honest conversations and think about these things because two people will be coming from, from different angles. But you're right. There's so many tiny little details in that, you know, what we want to be wearing, what what we want to, around us, who we want a, around us. Because for me, I feel like I would just love to be hearing people laughing and talking and, and having fun. That would that would give me great. I love it. I just love it. I've always loved it. I love being around people. I love hearing people enjoying each other and and having fun you know um but there's an element of this isn't there that thinks we can't do that when somebody's dying that's really disrespectful it's got to be quiet and somber and and respectful um but death doesn't doesn't it just doesn't look how you think it i mean it's portrayed in a certain way isn't it on tv and in movies and it's always a, a similar thing but it's it just really doesn't portray real life um, and I think that sometimes we get ingrained in that's how it should be. That's how it has to be. But understanding you have so much say in these things, but we're too scared to ask for these things to become our reality in those moments because there's so much else going on, isn't there? You know, it's often quite a, a chaotic time. There, there, There is, but I think because we've not asked or 
yeah, we see stuff on television or, you know, we have a, a perception of what um, it's going to look like. But it, it can be however the family want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I'm similar um, to you. I'd like to be surrounded by people really just having a good time and enjoying the space, really. Um mm-hmm. That was very much like it was for us as a family when my mum died. Mm-hmm. Um, she was at home. Uh, that's where she wanted to be. And it was surrounded by family and friends coming round. And we'd be round the table. There'd be like 10 people every night. And towards the end, she was obviously upstairs. But there was still a lot of laughter and drinking wine and yeah. um, reminiscing, um, sometimes with her there and other times not. And I can genuinely look back and say it was amazing and it was full of love that 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 word again you know what would love do in this moment well love would surround the person with all of the things that they love and that they enjoy doing in life yeah why wouldn't you see somebody out in the same way it's weird isn't it you saying that the love word again it's almost like we ha- we have difficulty in saying love and and and, you know thinking about love and telling people we love them and and thinking about self-love um it's sometimes it's as uncomfortable for people as as talking about death and dying isn't it you know there's that (laughs) that typical british stiff upper lip um and and an understanding i think that talking to somebody about death and dying comes from a place of love every time absolutely And I think maybe that's something that might be really worth people remembering when they're being offered that, Mm. you know, the support. I find every conversation I have with a a family, it's a little tricky um, because you never know what their reaction is going to be. But um, it always comes from a place of, of, of love and wanting to support them and kind of giving them all the options that they have. And like, you know, we've used the word a lot, choices, but all of the things that you can do Mm. in these moments that make this Mm. as good a death as it can be. And I think that's that's important for us all to remember, actually, that death and dying is difficult to talk about because we all have different views on it. We all come at it from a different perspective. What might be, you know, comfort for me might be highly insulting for someone else. Um, and and you're going to get a different reaction from everyone all the time, depending on how they're feeling in that moment, what's going on for them, what their experience has been. And it is tricky. You, you know, it is it's very hard. And you work in this this space, I work in this space, and sometimes I find it difficult to have certain conversations with certain people because you just don't know what kind of a response you're going to get. And and that is uncomfortable and that is scary and that holds us back. But actually being brave enough to go in and have those conversations anyway and give your person that chance, I suppose, to share what it is they want to share is, is just so, so loving. It comes from such a loving place. And not letting that fear hold you back. And I think that's a really important point, isn't it? That, you know, we all find this conversation tricky. It's difficult to have. You work in this space. I work in this space. I know many people that work in this space, but there are still moments in time where it 
you don't know what to say. You're worried you're going to upset someone or, or, or say something that's going to come across in the wrong way because you know we we all have a, a a different way of dealing with this we all hear things in in different ways and what's comforting to one is maybe not so comforting to someone else and might be quite triggering but actually if you can be brave enough to say something anyway and and say you you know maybe maybe own that and say look I'm I'm sorry if anything I say ever upsets you or doesn't feel very kind, then that's never my intention. I'm, I'm here for you. And, and, I, and I want to be able to have these conversations because, I mean, I speak to a lot of, of my clients who say that they actually, they lose that, that intimacy with their person, that, that husband, wife, partnership, um, you know, two people living together, whether you're married or not. When you become someone's caregiver, there's a huge shift in that, isn't there? And I've heard people say that, you know, they wish they'd done more to help protect the relationship that they had so they could continue with that intimacy. And that intimacy can look like a lot of different ways. And sometimes you may still want to have sex and you can still have sex, but it's so much more than that. And one of my other clients said that one of the most intimate moments she had with her husband was one night when they were lying on the bed, she got a pen and paper and they just had all of these conversations and they opened their hearts and they talked about the death and what would happen and what was wanted. And she said she'd never felt closer to him in, in her life. And it was such an intimate, magical moment. And I think these conversations can really help us protect that part of our relationship as much as they're difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, that carer role is um, really important to, you might not necessarily want to have that conversation with the person that's dying. You might have that, that I think it's important to have it with the person that's dying, but it might feel um, initially quite hard. So you might want to have that conversation away to explore what that means for you, you know, what does it mean to caring for your um, loved one? And, and is there a line? Is there a place where you, where actually, no, that's too much and you need to get some professional help in to do mm -hmm. probably a lot of the physical stuff, actually, because that's when maybe the intimacy is kind of, is, is, is lost a little bit. Mm -hmm. And interesting, is it just going back to choices? We can get into bed with the person that's dying why not I think a lot of people think that they can't why not get under the covers with them and sleep with them be with them not just you know the partner but children and you know other people um you know family and friends not they want to get into bed with them but just be with them and hold them and hug them and I think they're um, sense of oh we can't we can't do that anymore of course you can that's what love would do love would be right beside that person having conversations um you know if you get married and you have children you're always having those conversations out of love for the people you know making good decisions and choices for them as we move through life yeah. why do we stop doing that at the end like why do we put up this barrier and kind of all of a sudden oh we don't have those conversations anymore yeah. 
it's crazy to think that, isn't it? And they're so mm. important for it to be intimate, for it to be still, um, it's the connection, isn't it? And I think going back, um, my biggest message is there's no right or wrong and everyone is going to do it differently. You mentioned that before. Everyone comes from a different culture. People have different religions and beliefs. Some people will have a, a very strong religious value, but other people won't, but they will believe in something. Mm-hmm. It's just important to create the space. Mm-hmm. to be available for the conversations to like you say open up your heart to the possibility of an opportunity to have a conversation not that you would get it right or wrong and not that there's anything to fix and not that you're going to come up with all the answers that you need but just being open to start and i think that it's a wonderful skill to have in life, actually, and one that I think we need in in grief when our person has died. And it really is that understanding that, you know, we don't always have the answers. There's some things in life that just can't be fixed. But when somebody can hold space for you and let you speak your truth and listen and say, I don't have the answers. I don't have a solution but I will walk beside you whilst you try and figure this out and I will do what I can. You know, like that's that's so powerful. And I think instead of searching for things to say and, and do that, that can feel helpful, it is sometimes just sitting next to someone, isn't it? And like you say, providing that container for them to be able to share whatever it is they want to share because we all want to protect each other, don't we? We Nobody wants to upset anyone or hurt anyone and we don't want to cause people more pain. But what I see over and over again is that, you know, when we share those vulnerabilities and those fears, they are deeply connecting. And, you know, I've I've had ladies say to me that they they never cried. They never said they were upset. They never said they were scared. And they wish actually they'd shared that with that person because, they wish they'd known how much they loved them and and how hard this was for them. Not to to add any suffering, but just to think, you know, that they weren't thinking, oh, she's she's doing all right. <laughs> why, why isn't she upset? It's more about that's, the housework. That's a great start. What is it that you're afraid of? Why, you know, what is it that's stopping you from having these conversations? And then just being curious. Have you thought about that? Oh, I was thinking about. And, and looking and kind of exploring the possibilities. It's a really good point, actually, because how do we bring these things up? You, you know, like how, where do we create these openings? Um, how do we know if it's the right time for somebody? Because when we might feel ready, they might not feel ready. And, and I think that's that's a really lovely in, isn't it, of, of just testing the waters, of, of not going in too deep. But had you thought of this, and, and you'll know, won't you, from a reaction whether it's a, a conversation that's going to go anywhere in that moment or not. But just because it doesn't in that moment, don't not go back to it, I think. Absolutely, because you, hopefully you've planted a seed. You know, yeah. you've planted a seed of, oh, there's, there is a possibility that I could have a conversation around this. Um, mm. Another thing that I, I was just thinking about came up to mind when you were saying um, something then was also um, I think that there's probably a lot of people that will um, 
resonate if I say, oh, I wish I had said that. Oh, I didn't get an opportunity to do do that. And I think that's really important for both the person that's dying and the um, fa- and family and friends that if there's something that's unresolved, you know, having an opportunity to say that or just um, being able to have opportunities to say anything really that you think, gosh, I want to say that because if I don't say that, I'm going to think about that forever and I'm not going to have the opportunity to do that. And that might be to thank people. It could Mm -hmm. be all kinds of different things, but I think that's really important um, part of these conversations as well. It is. And and I've I've spoken spoken to so many people that said, oh, I didn't say it because I didn't know that they were going to die that quickly. And we don't know, you you know, and and people say, oh, that, you know, the the hospice didn't tell me that he would he would, you know, deteriorate that quickly or or that she was going to suddenly, you know, change her condition and, and, and die. But that's the point, isn't it? As much as you you know it's going to happen, you don't know when. So if there is something that you want to say, you want to discuss, you want to just maybe gain some closure on, um, do it. Just just do it when you you get an opportunity. Create the opportunity um, because things can suddenly change, can't they? Quite quite quickly, you, you know, somebody can be relatively okay one day and and maybe they've gone out for a walk and you've you've had you know quite a, a, a nice day together and then the next they're unconscious and and the, the the opportunity to have any kind of conversation has gone and I think that can really take people by surprise can't it that that change in in it, in their person and and also I think um that people can change their minds about things as so, um, and that's another thing um, I think to advocate for the person that's dying not to assume stuff. Mm. My my mum had was quite religious, and there had been some not falling out, but there'd been a bit of a disagreement. I think um, in terms of how she felt that the church was supporting her. And I remember the vicar arriving at the door, and I told him to go away. And my mum went, "No, go back and get him." And I was like running down the street saying, "No, no, no, she wants to see you." And that would have been hugely important for her because that actually would have been unity for her to. I don't know what what the conversation was, but she was able yeah. to do. That. I nearly like didn't allow that to happen. So, um, you know, it's really important that this tuning in to everybody. It's not. It's not just about the people that are having to witness it. It's about the person that's dying too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and 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 they are at the heart of all of this, aren't they? And it's it's remembering what they want and I think you know that's a very valid point not assuming you know when the ladies in my membership was protecting her husband she didn't she they didn't want to talk about the fact he was going to die she didn't want anyone to tell him he was going to die because she she, she thought he didn't want to know and very cleverly I think the the palliative care nurse got involved and and very gently brought up the conversation and she said it, it was the best thing it was the best thing because then he was able to express his wishes they were able to have the conversations they brought him home to die and and she said that that would have been very difficult to live with had she not have had that conversation and was left wondering what if, which I know a lot of people are. And I know a lot of people carry a huge burden when they reflect back and think of the things they didn't say, the conversations they didn't have, the things they didn't write down. Um, so many people have said, you know, they wish they'd written more notes or, or you know, got their person to write letters or dictate letters and, and what have you. But that's difficult in the moment, isn't it? Because you are 
in this thing that kind of organically has a life of its own. But it's about maybe taking away from that, that maybe going forward in their future, that they, that they would take the opportunity mm. because mm. then they're abilities um and that's not to feel guilty around it's just that we learn from everything don't we so that's our learned experience of that so hopefully they'll take that forward and know that in the future that when the um yeah when the opportunity arises when somebody maybe suggests something or opens up a space that now they will actually you know grab it and um kind of run with them yeah I, I think that's so true. It's really remembering that you, you can learn from these things and you can take those learnings forward and, and actually, you know, focus on the things that you did do because, you know, we've all, you know, in those moments done a lot for our person and cared for them in the best way that we knew how. And, and it's focusing on that and remembering those things, isn't it? There's so much for us to discuss here, right? There is so much more I wanted <laughs> to to talk about, you know, what death looks like, what what happens after the person has died, um, you, you know, how we can can help ourselves have, a, you know, a more meaningful grief and a more peaceful grief. Um, maybe we should do a part two <laughs> and follow up because it's such a big topic, isn't it? It's such a big topic. And, you know, I really want people to get the most out of, of, of your knowledge um, and experience in this and anything that I can can offer as well. Obviously, Simon didn't die from an illness. He, he died um, very suddenly. So I, I haven't experienced that in a life partner, um, but I have had family members. And obviously, with my, my nursing background, I know I know what death and, and dying looks like and, and, and how that is you know, from a carer's point of view. And it's it's tough. It's really tough. But it's also uh, maybe not what people expect. Again, no. back to watching it on um, TV, mm. you're right. There's a lot of information almost in that one thing in what does that look like. And I think that, again, if we're prepared and we've had conversations around that, the experience of that is much um is is better for for everybody um and that is a huge you know topic it's also really hard to talk about but um i wonder it would be um interesting um to hear what people would want us to chat about if yeah part part two you know in particular be nice to actually answer some questions maybe or yeah. Absolutely. I think that's a really good point, you know, just see what, what would be helpful to people. Um, I, I've, I've heard a lot of people saying that they wish they'd known what, what death looked like and sounded yeah. like, um, because it's it's not always as, as quiet and peaceful as one would imagine. And, and it, it can feel traumatic from the outside looking in but that's not necessarily the experience the person dying is having and in it like you say when you understand that and you know what the body does when it dies um yeah. you, you know it does create a calm environment doesn't it in in that time and, and space which is important it's really important and I think that that's one thing that I wish I'd known when I was watching my mum and we we were surrounded by I've said love and family and it made that um and we were very present so it, it made it okay but there were definitely things that I I guess witnessed over the last kind of week 
uh, yeah, um, that I wasn't prepared for. But actually now I know that they're really normal. They're definitely a part of, you know, the natural um, way of dying and letting go. And um, it is really interesting. I think there is a lot of um, feedback from people that say, it was so traumatic for my loved one. I, I think they were in a lot of pain and they were, you know, uncomfortable and, it, they, they seem to struggle, which which may well be the case. Of course, we can't, you know, dismiss yeah. that. Yeah. But I do think that there is a lot of um, the natural way um, looks um, quite like that. Yeah. It looks distressing, but actually for the person it isn't. It's quite involuntary reactions of the, of the body. And I also think, um, and maybe we could end on this, is if we have all of these lovely conversations and we have the opportunity to create space to discuss what the person wants to have at the end of life, maybe it wouldn't be seen as being so traumatic because you would have had the time and the space to prepare and to make it right for that person and the people that are around them. Yeah. And that's what makes it meaningful, doesn't it? That's what can create a beautiful death. And I know it sounds weird for people to hear us talk about meaningful, beautiful, amazing, wonderful deaths, but it's important, isn't it? You know, I'd like to think that I could have that for myself and I could give that to to those around me if, you know, the, the situation allows it. And there's many things we can do, I think, to allow that in. It's possible. We yeah. start open up the conversation. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing everything you have shared with us. It's been so, I love it. I love talking about these things. <laughs> I think it's, it, you know, it's so needed. There's such a gap and people feel so alone out there in, in what they're going through. And I don't want that. I know you don't want that. I know you're incredibly passionate about this. So we will be back. We will return. Um, and, and there will be a part two to this. <laughs> we will keep going with the conversation. But thank you so much, Victoria. It's oh, been so lovely. So brilliant. Thank you so much for listening to The Widow Podcast with me, Karen Sutton. If you would like to be part of a supportive community of people who understand your grief, come and join my free Facebook group, Widowed and Rising. And make sure you tune in to the next episode of The Widow Podcast. Mm-hmm.